turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. And as Paul begins this great message and great letter, he simply reiterates and continues to reiterate one fact that our salvation is for God's own glory. And by the way, I might say this, what does glory mean? When we say glorify God, it's to mean to recognize him for all he is and to respond properly. That's really all it means, to recognize God for all that he is and to respond properly to that glorious one. Whatever the response might be, to respond properly, recognize him for who he is. Rick Warren said it well concerning God's glory. He said, it is who God is. It is the essence of his nature, the weight of his importance, the radiance of his splendor, the demonstration of his power, the atmosphere of his presence. We're glad to have you here today for another verse-by-verse Bible class of the air. Our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff, is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're studying the final few verses of Romans chapter 8, as we consider God's sovereignty and our security. The Bible was not originally written with chapters and verses. Someone has put them in for our convenience in locating the information in our Bibles. It is very convenient, but sometimes those arbitrary divisions can get in the way of our understanding the message. Romans is one book in particular that has a wonderful flow and continuity as we read through the whole book. So while chapter 8 is fantastic if we read it all by itself, It's even more fabulous when we understand it in light of the things Paul wrote that led up to this great passage. Let's listen now as Pastor Steve shares some thoughts on that topic. Do you realize where Paul has taken us from in Romans? I mean, oftentimes when you go verse by verse, we tend to sometimes lose the larger picture. But let me me refresh your your memories of where Paul has taken us from in Romans. He started out in chapter 1 telling us we were condemned. The wrath of God was upon us because we rejected the truth. And everyone born into this world suppresses that truth and rejects that truth. And the wrath of God is upon us. And chapter 1 through chapter 3 says we're condemned. We are undone. The wrath of God is upon us. That is the plight of mankind. But as chapter 3 ends and chapter 4 picks up, we see that Christ has been sent by God to die for our sins and our condemnation. He took our condemnation upon himself. And we, if we trust him, are justified from condemnation to justification. And then as we move into chapters 5, 6, and 7, we see that that he is sanctifying us. He's given us a divine nature. He's given us the Holy Spirit. We're changed. We serve now with with newness of spirit. And then as we move into chapter 7, we saw that we struggle. Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me? Though we're new creatures in Christ, we still struggle. And chapter 8 said, The struggle goes on and goes on and goes on, but someday we are going to be glorified, and that's the message of chapter 8. The struggle may be now, and we may cry out, who's going to deliver me? I'm wretched. I'm sinful. And Paul comes to us in chapter 8 and says, ah, but you're secure. In spite of the fact that you're a sinner, someday your groaning will cease. 
Because you will be just like Jesus Christ conformed to his very image. From condemnation to justification to sanctification, all the way to glorification. That's the message of Romans. And that's where we are in Romans. But the question is, why would God do this? Why would he do this? Why would God purpose in his plan and heart to make us like his own son? Why would he take a broken piece of clay, one born in the fallen image of Adam, and conform it to the very image of Christ in glory? Why? If you understand the answer to that question, you understand the ultimate purpose of eternal security. The first aspect of that purpose was to be like Christ. But why? This becomes really the ultimate bottom line purpose of security. Look at the end of verse 29. Many would pass over this very quickly. I cannot. That he, that is Christ, might be the firstborn among many brethren. The ultimate purpose of our security is not to forgive our sins. Thank God it it does that, but that's not the ultimate purpose. It's not to make us happy. It's not to relieve our anxiety. It's not to deliver us from hell. Thank God those are byproducts. These are really results of our security, but the purpose of our security is that Christ might be the firstborn among many brethren. That may mean nothing to you, so I'm going to explain. The term firstborn does not mean that he was born first. Christ was not born He is the creator. He is not part of creation. He is not born into this world and only in the sense that he existed before time and became a man. But he is is a creator. He was never created. The term firstborn comes out of the Jewish culture. In a Jewish family, the firstborn held a special position of prominence, priority. In fact, he was the preeminent one in the family. He received a double inheritance. More than the others, he had authority over the family in the place of the father. He was the preeminent one in the family because he uniquely represented the dignity of the family in carrying on the family name. He was the biggie in the family of everybody. He was considered the prominent one. And when Paul says that Christ is the firstborn among many brethren, what he means is that Christ is the honored one the privileged one, the esteemed one. He is the supreme one. Colossians chapter 1 says this. Verse 15 says, And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is the preeminent one. And verse 18 simply uh, gives us more on that. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Why? So that he might come to have first place in everything. That's the thought there, that he is preeminent. Not that he just came first, but that he is the prominent one. The purpose of our salvation security, now watch this, it's to glorify the Son of God. Bottom line, ultimate purpose, to give him glory. God chose us before the foundation of the world and destined us to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that, now watch this, so that there would be a redeemed, glorified group of people over which Christ would stand out as the supreme, primary, leading one. God has saved you and secured you, not primarily for you, though he loves you. He did it primarily for his own son, that his son might be the first among firsts, a leader amongst leaders. 
If God doesn't secure our salvation, then we can't be conformed to Christ's image. And if we can't be conformed to his image, then we can't give him glory as the one that stands supreme over redeemed, glorified humanity. Do you see that? That's the point. In other words, he's got to have brethren just like him in order to receive glory and honor from them. And God is going to make sure that there is a redeemed humanity throughout all of eternity because he wants that redeemed humanity spending all of eternity worshiping and glorifying the one who stands above them all. And if God didn't interfere in our lives and intervene and call us, and before that choose us and call us and keep us, then none of us would ever make it. I've often said that to people who think they could lose their salvation. I said, listen, if sin could cause me to lose it, if there's any way I could lose it, I've lost it. I lost it after the first day I was saved. He created millions like Christ and then let Christ stand out as the one preeminent over them. That, that is, I don't know what that does to your heart, but it causes me to stand in awe and to know that salvation is wrapped around Christ, not me. You see, we are such a, a people that's so consumed about me, 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 all the benefits for me. Listen, forget that. At least now, forget that. That's a part of it. Forget that. Primarily, our focus is that salvation and the security of it is for his glory and honor. The ultimate purpose of our salvation is to give God the glory, not to see all the things that we've been delivered from, and to acknowledge him for who he really is. And this is substantiated throughout the New Testament. This will do a great, a great thing for your evangelism. The primary motive in evangelism is not to see how many you can lead to the Lord and not to see, really, that your friends and loved ones come to Christ As one person said, uh, the motive for evangelism is to add more people to the hallelujah chorus. See, God is the one who gets the glory. And I try to keep that in mind as I I witness. And you might wonder, by the way, how how does evangelism go with sovereignty? We'll look at that, Lord willing, next week. There's no conflict. I don't understand it, but there's no conflict. We're to be zealous for evangelism. But the great motive in evangelism and the great motive in living and the great motive in in seeing that we're kept secure is to give him glory to start now and continue it forevermore. I'd like you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians is a message about the church, the formation of the church, the, the coming together of the church, the choosing of the church, then the behavior of the church, the future of the church. And as Paul begins this great message and great letter... He simply reiterates and continues to reiterate one fact that our salvation is for God's own glory. And by the way, I might say this. What does glory mean? When we say glorify God, it's to mean to recognize him for all he is and to respond properly. That's really all it means. To recognize God for all that he is and to respond properly to that glorious one. Whatever the response might be, to respond properly. Recognize him for who he is. Ephesians chapter 1 Verses 4 through 6, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. And see, some of the same thoughts we've been going over. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Why? Why did he do this? Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. When all is said and done, you know what our salvation is going to cause us to do ultimately? It ought to start now, but ultimately I give God His grace, glory. I praise His grace, an attribute of God. I simply praise Him for being so gracious to not only choose me, but to save me. But that's not all. Verse 11 and 12. 
Also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, there's that word again, according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. What's the end of this? To the end that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, should be what? To the praise of his glory. We're going to praise him for being so glorious. It's not all. Look at verse 13. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, verse 14, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to what? To the praise of his glory. You get the point? That Paul and and the Spirit of God want to make? That salvation is wrapped up in, in giving God praise. It's not all. Turn over to Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. Verse, verses 1 through 3 say we were dead in sins, we were rotten, we followed Satan. But, verse 4 says, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Isn't that wonderful? We were dead, God made us alive. And verse 6 says, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order. Here's the purpose. Here's the reason. Why did God save you? Why did God give you life? Why did God positionally sit you and seat you with him in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus? God wants to show off that he's kind. So he takes miserable creatures like us and puts them on display and says to everyone, see how kind I am? Took these unloving and unlovely creatures and I've redeemed them and forgiven them and secured them and made them like Christ and look how kind I am. Say, well, God really has an ego problem. No, he's the only one who who has the right to do that. No one else has that right because he is perfect. And he wants others to know that. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Paul says, I'm a preacher. I've been called to preach about the mystery of Christ. And the mystery, by the way, is that Jew and Gentile are now in the body. It isn't just that God is saving Jews. It isn't just that he's saving Gentiles. It's that he's saving Jew and Gentile, making them one in Christ, a new man, a new creature. And he says in verse 8, To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. Why? Why is it that Paul's now preaching this? Why is this mystery now be made known? Why did God plan this all out, that Jew and Gentile would be one in him? Verse 10, In order that the manifold wisdom, and by the way, the word manifold means the infinite diversity and brilliance of God's wisdom, his great wisdom, might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. You know what this is saying? Angels are watching the church, and they stand in amazement to see the demonstration of God's glorious wisdom in bringing hostile Jews and hostile Gentiles together into one body, and they love one another, and they love Christ. It's amazing. It's incredible. If you understood the history of Jew and Gentile and how they hated each other, you would, you would stand in awe just like the angels. Do you realize why our salvation must be secure? Why it has to be? Why there's no question about it? Because if it's not, then God doesn't receive the glory. I remember hearing the story about a dear Christian woman who was dying, and the minister came to speak to her at her bedside, and he said, Suppose after all of this, and and she said that she had trusted Christ and so forth, and he said, suppose after all of this, you die, and you're not ushered into the presence of Christ. What then? And she said, oh, oh, if that were to be the case, I would only lose my soul, but God would lose far more. 
he would lose his integrity. You see, God has far more to lose than you do in terms of the security of your salvation. You're only going to lose your soul, and you're not. I mean, I'm just saying that for illustration purposes. That's all you can lose. But God has far more to lose. His name, his name, which is, which is even above everything else, his name, his reputation, his glory, it would be a reflection upon the very grace and kindness of God. Salvation, security is so that God would be magnified and would be showed off. Our security shows the wisdom of God, it shows the kindness of God, it shows the grace of God. Salvation is ultimately for Christ's sake, not ours. We don't have a man-centered salvation, we have a God-centered salvation. His glory is the primary issue. And that's why God is going to make sure that you make it to glory so that you'll be there forever worshiping his son. If he didn't make sure that we would be there, none of us would make it and Christ would be there alone without all of the millions of brethren around to give him praise as the firstborn amongst many brethren. That's the incredible plan of redemptive history. That's what everything is moving towards. God has taken a race of rebels People who hated him. Look at Romans chapter 1 and you'll see that. People who rebelled against him, who rejected his truth, who denied his power, who didn't glorify him, refused to give him honor, and he has chosen some of them. Why he did, I don't know, but he's absolutely fair. God didn't have to choose anyone. And if he didn't choose some, no one would ever come on their own. God chose some so that they will give him praise and glory for all of eternity. Listen, it's like what Jonah discovered when he said, salvation is of the Lord from beginning to end. You say, well, don't we have to respond? Don't we have to believe? Sure we do. God even works in our hearts bringing that to pass. You say, well, how do you understand? How can you reconcile divine sovereignty and human responsibility? I, I just quote Charles Spurgeon who said, I don't. I don't reconcile friends. Now, you can't reconcile friends, but uh, when we reach a passage in Scripture that deals with man's responsibility, I'm going to preach it that way. And we reach a passage of Scripture that deals with God's sovereignty, I'm going to preach it that way. This passage is not intended to tell us how to be saved. It's intended in Romans chapter 8 to tell us that once we are saved, we are saved forever. That's the purpose of it. If God doesn't choose us and doesn't destine us for glory, then no one's going to make it. And to make sure that his plan would be fulfilled, he predestined those he chose in order to conform them to Christ's image so that Christ would stand out above them all as the most glorious of the glorified. That's a good way to put it. The most glorious of the glorified. What's the promise of security? Verse 28, all things work together for good right now for all eternity. That's the great promise. You can lean on that. You can rest on that. Nothing can separate us from the the love of God. And what's the purpose? Not so you escape hell. Thank God that's a reality. But so Christ would get all the glory. There'll be a people who'll give him glory. Nobody else is going to give him glory. We will. And if you know Christ, you're going to be there. You say, Steve, these are heavy things. How, how can you know if you're chosen? How can you know if you're chosen and predestined to salvation? It's a good question. But there's a rather simple answer. We turn to John 6, 37. You know how you can know? There's only one way to know if you've been chosen. Only one way. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. Because Jesus said in John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. If the Father chose you, destined you for glory, you are going to come to Christ. And the one who comes to me, Jesus said, I'll certainly not cast out. 
There it is. In fact, that's everything I said this morning. So why don't you just say that? All that the Father gives to me shall come to me. And Jesus said, and when you come to me, rest assured, you're here forever. Here forever. Some of you may know people who did make a profession, and you say, well, they're not following. They don't. Listen, profession and possession are two different things. It's very easy to walk an aisle, make a prayer of salvation, shake the pastor's hand, uh, say the right words, go through the right motions, and yet never act, actually trust Christ for your salvation. But this promise is for those who do come and trust him and receive him as their savior and and believe that he died for their sins and put their trust and confidence in him and his death alone for salvation. To them, Jesus said, I'll never cast you out. Never. And you'll never leave me. You'll never want to leave me. That's the great security we have. Have you trusted him? Don't hide behind the doctrine of election and predestination. There are unbelievers who do that. Don't hide behind it. In fact, it's not even good to share it with unbelievers. But there may be some here who've heard this, and you say, aha, uh-huh. God didn't choose me. I don't have to come. Listen, the only way to know if he's chosen you is to come to him and come today. Don't delay because tomorrow may be too late. Let's bow for prayer. If you've never trusted Christ, this is the best time to put your faith in him. The best time. And don't even be concerned as, as one who's never trusted Christ about predestination an election. That's really God's business. And the only reason that I'm dealing with it is because it's my business to teach God's word. But if we spoke privately, I would never even deal with these things in your presence. This is family matters. The family gets to know this. You're just kind of eavesdropping. But come to Christ today. Your responsibility is to come. It doesn't mean come walk an aisle necessarily. It doesn't mean come to the front of the church. But it does mean come to the Savior. Would you invite him into your life? understanding that that invitation is an invitation for him to rule over your life. An invitation that says, Lord, I trust you, you died for me. If you do that now, we invite you to come up after the service and speak to one of our counselors. Just see me or someone up here and we'll direct you to a counselor who will be able to open up the word of God more fully to you. Dear Christian friends, I hope you're resting in the sovereignty of God. I hope you realize that your salvation is for his glory, not yours. Would you shift your man-centered thinking of salvation over to be God-centered so that you see that all that we're studying about in security is not just to make you feel good, though we're glad that it does that, but it's really to give God glory. Start now, and it'll continue forever. Father, we're appreciative that the Word of God deals with these issues. We don't always understand them fully, but we appreciate it. We stand in awe of you. We understand a little bit more now about the purpose of security. We've been dealing with this issue for so many weeks, Lord. And finally, as we're moving towards the end of this chapter, you tell us its purpose. Father, I pray that, that the word of God will take root in people's hearts. I know you've done a magnificent work in my heart this week as these truths have been unfolded to me. That I'm a part of your purpose. And that purpose can fail. That purpose is that you'll stand out. Lord, you're just magnificent. How we praise your name. And we pray that you'll help us to really focus on who you are and not what we get. Lord, we're we're just so glad that you're the firstborn amongst many brethren and that you're pleased to call us brethren. And yet you're our Lord. We stand amazed in your presence. We worship you and we pray that you'll help us even as we leave here to continue that worship. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. 
In Ezekiel 36:22, God said, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name. You know, that's not only why he rescued Israel again and again, but it's also why God saves us and keeps us. It's for his holy name. And I find that very reassuring. We can't do anything that would make him change his mind because it's not about us. It's about him. Thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is teaching a series of lessons from Romans chapter 8 about God's sovereignty and our security. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Go online to lakesidechapel.com for more information or call the church office at 727-441-1714. Today's session was the conclusion of Pastor Steve's first message in this series. If you missed any of the previous broadcasts, they are free to stream or download from the message archive page at versebyverseradio.org. And if you'd like to help support Verse by Verse, it's safe and easy to do so on our giving page. We deeply appreciate the generous listeners who make these broadcasts possible. That's at versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. Join us next time on Verse by Verse as we consider the age-old question, did God choose us or did we choose him? I hope you can be here. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse by We're here to give you strength between